Welcome to 660amtheanswer.com and the Wells Report podcast page. Brought to you by, well, this introduction and, of course, the very hard work of executive producer Vicki Steifer. Hope you enjoy the shows. Thanks very much again for checking them out here on 660amtheanswer.com. Is anybody out there paying attention to what's going on in this country, in this state, and in this city? We know one man who is. You got questions? He's got answers. This is The Wells Report with John David Wells. On 660 AM, The Answer. You are listening to The Wells Report. My name is John David Wells. Our telephone number is 866-660-5759. We are discussing North Korea, a couple of announcements that were chilling. One, a Defense Intelligence Agency report was leaked to the press saying that North Korea indeed has miniaturized nuclear warheads capable of being fit upon one of their missiles and fired. Now, According to the very latest, and a lot of this is is not necessarily, this is not necessarily, uh, shall we say, uh, reliable, but it's good, and we'll see. The targeting would be facilities for producing and storing nuclear material and nuclear weapons at the cost of creating a big mess. Facilities for producing and storing missiles at the cost of creating a large campfire. Missile launchers, particularly North Korea's expanding fleet of mobile platforms, that would be a high-priority target. Ports for submarines capable of launching missiles, like I said, the Sinpo submarine, they theoretically have anywhere from one to six of them. Six were under construction, according to the last information that I had. I believe that three are are actually in operation, and I believe that one has been proven to be missile-capable. Um, ports for submarines capable of launching missiles, that would be uh, that would be another high-priority target. This would be important. Artillery positions near the DMZ that could be used in a retaliatory attack. I would suggest that as soon as uh, an alert went through the North Korean command and control nets, that those those artillery batteries would open up. And that would create issues for South Korea because because Seoul is within range of those batteries. At least that's what I understand. We happen to know somebody that can help us out with that. Richard from Arlington, Texas, a retired Army officer. Sir, welcome to the Wells Report. Good to have you here. Thank you, John David. I've been listening to you even when you were on earlier in the day. <laughs> Thank you very much, sir. I sincerely appreciate it. How am I doing? You're doing great. Thank you. And you said some very uh, apt things earlier, and I just wanted to add a comment to them. You're right that nuclear weapons would be a terrible idea. Not that ultimately they might be needed, but at the beginning they certainly aren't. And I think that what I would like to see done is to have a preemptive plan so that if North Korea keeps pushing, we can take out all of the artillery along the DMZ while we're at it. Because if we don't, we're going to wipe out Seoul, not we, but the North Koreans will wipe up Seoul, wipe out Seoul with artillery that's pre-programmed to fire on it. And as a son of a guy who was in Seoul, Korea for a while, I really would not like to see that happen. You used to live in Guam. That must have, uh, that must have, very, that must have gotten your attention when uh, North Korea said that they were considering firing on U.S. military positions there. Yes, and uh, I lived at the Navy end of the island, and uh, but I remember going out to the boondocks one day with a cook's uh, 
what is it in the Navy? Cook's mate. Right. And uh, we found an unexploded Japanese rocket in the boondocks. Whoa. And this is in the late 40s, early 50s. So, you know, stuff like this is should be taken seriously. Sir, I sincerely appreciate your, your thoughts and commentary. If I get anything wrong, would you please back us up and, uh, you know, feel free to call call us. And Because under circumstances like this, we very much like to get things right. If you wouldn't mind, I sure would appreciate it. Well, I've been impressed with you so far, so thank you. Thank you very much, sir. I'm doing my absolute dead level best to make sure my my homework is my homework assignments have been uh, properly conducted. Let me get to uh, Richard, other Richard in Dallas. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the Wells Report. Wells, yes, we can rest at night and sleep because we have 4,500 nukes underground in Montana. (laughs) My nephew in the Air Force maintained all of them. Yeah, those question, those those question. missile fields are thick, man. I've I've been out there looking at those. Those they're everywhere. Go ahead. My question is the terror that the New York Times is streaking out on all of us, scaring the people. It's like Orson Welles and the War of the Worlds. Is there something not criminal? about what they're doing, posting something that's just going to be debunked tomorrow to sell newspapers. They're spreading terror among America. Here's, here's, the, thing about, here's the thing about American journalism. I would suspect that the closer this gets to reality, the closer American journalism will get to reality. Because to do otherwise would have dramatically bad results. I think the last really stupid statement that we're going to hear for a while came from uh, came from Senator Feinstein today when she said that she thought that that Donald Trump's response was bellicose and and so on and warmongering. Well, that's exactly what she would say. But the thing about it is, is that the president is trying to communicate in a very unambiguous way with someone who speaks in terms similar to that. In other words, it seemed a little stilted to me. The, the The language seemed a little bit stilted to me, but I'm relatively sure that if you were to, because he repeated it twice, if you take, if you take the way the president actually structured those statements in, the, in, in a syntax point of view, they probably match up almost beautifully, almost perfectly with North Korean, the North Korean dialect of the Korean language. So, so in other words, I'm reasonably sure that that was a statement for effect that that was that was suggested long before President Trump said it. I could be wrong, but I'm not. I, I'm pretty sure that not being a Korean language expert, I'm reasonably sure that the way he said that was uh, was studied for a reason. The point of the matter is this, is the U.S. ready to go to war? Yeah. Yeah, there is no, there is no doubt about it. We are, we have all the assets in place that are necessary to be able to not just take care of North Korea, but also to preempt China from feeling secure about entering in the fray. I would suspect that before the United States sorties one B-1 bomber or fires one ship launched uh, one ship launched uh, uh, Tomahawk missile, 
that there would be communications very much engaged in between the two countries. I'm talking about China and the United States. Because it can't be a mistake here. All right? There just can't be a mistake here. You know, I, I talk about the capabilities of the United States submarine force. I am very sure that they'd be able to tell the difference between a North Korean submarine and a and a and a Chinese submarine. Um, and I'm reasonably sure that Chinese submarines have cleared the area at least far enough so that really all they want to do is just want to listen. They want to hear just exactly what happens. Listen to what would be an ASW attack on some of these some of these submarines that North Korea has. Now, if North Korea is smart, they do possess some pretty serious submarine might. They they do have some very good boats. They have Romeo class former submarines or former Soviet and and Chinese built Romeo class submarines. These are these are basically fashioned after the last submarines that Nazi Germany built, the Type 21. They have multiple day endurance underwater. They are quick. They are maneuverable. They have, at least the Russian units have very good sonars, um, but they are noisy. And if, say, for example, some of those Romeos were to were to leave port with the Sinpos, perhaps trailing or being escorted by or what have you, then it could be a very it could be a very interesting tactical problem for the United States submarine forces. But they practice this stuff all the time. And not only that, no one has any real idea, except for the people that are actually engaging in submarine warfare for the United States, what the capabilities of these these systems are. The BSY one and BSY two combat systems in these in these submarines are truly amazing and so the possibility that that it would make a mistake very 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 small but then again you you have to keep things you have to keep things out in front of you you have to make very careful decisions you have to do the right thing at the right moment if you take a look at what appears to be the most important targets that will interdict south korea which is probably the only real weapon system that has a chance, it's that artillery on the DMZ. That's good artillery. And just as Richard, the former U.S. Uh, Army officer, was discussing, they have, <clears throat> they have refined those, those artillery solutions over decades. They know exactly where all those artillery shells are going to land. And some of them will get fired, and some of them will land, Unless the United States acts first. If that is what happens, then again, they had a sanction from China. And two, that kind of falls into the propaganda being issued to the people of North Korea by Kim Jong-un. So so we'll just have to see. But uh, we certainly are. We certainly are in a position where people are are paying close attention now. And it's for real. And they're not playing around. They are not at the highest levels of of defense conditions at this particular moment. Not anywhere close. Probably not to DEFCON 3, which was the highest that American forces around the world got during the Cuban Missile Crisis. However, local, local uh, 
military units did reach DEFCON 2 during the Cuban Missile Crisis. I doubt that they're that that far advanced. They may be at DEFCON 3. Don't know. But that means that there are certainly things worth paying attention to and to be ready completely for orders, missions, sorties, etc. So that's so that's the best I've got at this particular moment for you, based on all the information that I have. Uh, so so I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure that at least at least as far as Kim Jong Un is concerned. He now knows that China is not going to come to his aid, and he is in a moment of pause. Now he just has to decide whether he's going to say, screw it, and start shooting. If he does, that will be the end of his regime. And that may be more of a blessing than a curse. Although, once again, I'm very concerned about what happens south of the DMZ when that artillery begins to fire. At the, at the orders of a soon-to-be-removed regime leader in the People's Republic of Korea. You are listening to The Wells Report. This is 660 AM, The Answer. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, please join us. 866-660-5759 will come to you next on 660 AM, The Answer. Now, The Wells Report with John David Wells on 660 AM. The answer. You are listening to the Wells Report. Hi, I'm John David Wells. Wells Report in progress. Glad you're here. Telephone number 866-660-5759. There is a a frank result of what has been nothing short of stark Democrat incompetence when it comes to politics in Texas. The latest crop of Texas Democrats are more known for their willingness to get into fist fights on the floor of the House of Rep- uh, the Texas House of Representatives than they are for coming up with any kind of reasonable idea. The closest thing that they've gotten to a cogent a cogent response to anything has been to try to throw, again, the time-honored system of the party in power drawing the districts of any given state into the courts in an effort to try to come with come up with some kind of relevancy, not at the hands of the voters, but at the hands of a singular judge whose politics could, as far as we know, be suspect. That is all the Democrat Party has been able to offer. The reason that they are where they are is because they are uninterested in doing anything that people of Texas want. They are much more interested in proving that everybody else is wrong instead of coming up with something that might be right. This is why, this is why they have zero relevance when it comes to Texas politics. It's been made worse in that Texas Democrats are finding that they do not have a candidate to run against Republican Governor Greg Abbott. They've lost every gubernatorial race in the state for nearly 30 years. For months, Democrat leaders have been searching for a high-powered candidate 
to run against Abbott, but they're, they've been unable to find a suitable opponent to challenge this incumbent. And they're not going to. They are not going to because the Democrat Party has become essentially the party of socialism and malfunction. Wendy Davis was the last Democrat candidate for governor in the state of Texas. She is not available insofar as it's baby seal killing season north of the Arctic Circle. And so she's there with her spiked club, you know, doing her best to try to raise money for some kind of, uh, I think she's trying to come up with another Planned Parenthood location somewhere in Texas. I, I don't know exactly where it is, but we'll, we'll contact her press agent and find out more. You're listening to The Wells Report. This is 660 AM, The Answer. The Wells Report. A daily good old-fashioned North Texas barbecue. Of anybody trying to take advantage of us. On 660 AM, The Answer. You are listening to The Wells Report. My name is John David Wells. I just happened to take a cruise to the CNN website. Have you been there recently? Democrats call Trump's threats bombastic and unhinged. This is not helpful. The Democrats need to settle down, throttle back. Donald Trump's threat is not bombastic and unhinged. It is focused and targeted at Kim Jong-un. Then there's this one. Did Trump just torpedo Tillerson's diplomatic efforts? The answer is no. No, Tillerson will be the good cop. Donald Trump will be the bad cop. It worked brilliantly with a guy named, uh, what was his name? Oh, yeah, Ronald Reagan. McCain says he's not sure that Trump is ready to act on North Korea. Based on what, sir? Two-thirds see North Korea as a very serious threat. Two-thirds of us, we the people of the United States, and that is, of course, I am sure extremely, extremely clear and and certainly and certainly accurate. And then finally, uh, they say that the U.S. says North Korea has miniaturized a nuclear warhead or two or ten. Okay, so there you go. Uh, that's the latest, but yeah, the uh, Democrats are probably trying to throw the word unhinged in there because it's been applied to them for so many so many weeks in a row that they, they're trying to, to use the same language. And by the way, Guam, I believe, is where lots of B-2 bombers are stationed. So that being said, uh, this uh, this... Crazy fat kid is picking some very serious fights, and he needs to chill out. We'll see. I have been saying for years now that the Democrat Party is in very serious trouble. You can tell because for the second election in a row, Actually, for the third election in a row, there has been no serious Democrat challenger to the Republican inevitability when it comes to the governor's office in the state of Texas. It doesn't look like things are improving. Chris Saliza, reporting for The Point, CNN's editor-at-large, 
says this. He has come up with a piece that says why 2018 might not be such an amazing election for Democrats. Well, I'll tell you why it won't be such an amazing election for Democrats. Because the American people are going to realize that they have very serious problems with regards to the Democrat Party trying to foist something on us called Obamacare. It cost us billions upon billions of dollars. cost the middle class billions upon billions of dollars. This, this, after saying, we have to take care of the middle class. That's what President Obama ran on. Well, he certainly took care of the middle class. Costing them thousands, giving them virtually nothing. They did not get health care, a health care plan. They got a health care card, which was unusable. David Wasserman came up with an analysis of the 2018 election on something called 538. Even if Democrats were to win every single 2018 House and Senate race for seats representing places that Hillary Clinton won or that Trump lost by less than three percentage points, that would be a very good midterm by historic standards, they would still fall short of the House majority and then, on top of that, lose five more Senate seats. According to that, according to Saliza, that's absolutely stunning and reflective of the advantages Republicans have going into 2018, one in the House having built largely controlled 2010 redistricting process. They, the Republicans largely control the 2010 redistrict, redistricting process. And in the other, the Senate, based on how great the 2006 and 2012 elections were for Democrats. In the House, there are 23 districts currently held by a Republican that Hillary Clinton won in 2016. There are 12 seats held by Democrats that Trump won. Of those 23, just eight went for Barack Obama over Mitt Romney in 2012 as well. Even though, if Democrats Democrats won all 23 of the seats Clinton carried that are represented by Republicans and lost none of the dozen seats Trump won, the party still comes up a seat short of the majority. So, Saliza says, well, it's all because of the redistricting. Well, if you want to if you want to have a hand in redistricting, what you've got to do is you have to win some elections. Which is not anything that the Democrats did in either 2010 when it came to when it came to these kinds of things in 2010 or 2012 or 2014. You know, you talk about the fact that the Democrats have lost a thousand seats around the country in various legislatures. That's what this that's what this meant. That all of these Republicans were able to redistrict. So you have to come up with something that Americans want. So far, the Democrat Party is not capable of coming up with anything that Americans want. Pretty much they're interested in telling Americans that they're racists. They're xenophobes, and they're clutching their Bibles and their guns as deplorables. Normally, what would end up happening here is that a real opposition party to the Democrats would be consolidating their power by doing everything they possibly could to double down on the things that got them elected in the first place. 
But that's not what this Republican Party is doing. Witness John McCain spewing when he should be recovering. Sir, please shut up. The Republican Party seems to want to play partisan politics and fill in for Democrats that are obviously not there. (laughs) Stop it. You got to realize that there has to be a Republican Party out there or there's no reason to vote for you. The Democrat Party has turned itself into an anti-American gang of progressive leftist thugs. That's all they are now. The time-honored party of the working man is gone. Nowhere to be seen, except in the person of Joe Manchin. He's the last Democrat standing. And he's not exactly sure that he cares one way or another about getting re-elected. He said the other day that I don't care. I do not give a tinker's dang about being re-elected. Because he is so disgusted with his party. Normally, you'd think that this was this would be high time to be a Republican, but the Republican Party will not engage in the kind of politics that would put the Democrats away forever. The Democrats have nothing. The moderates read that sane factions of the Democrat Party are so harshly harshly pacified, they're so harshly stomped on by these progressive thugs, there is no way for them to move forward. Until the progressives are finally just reduced to, to being seen for the hysteria and the totalitarianism and the anti-Americanism that they represent to their core, until that becomes obvious... The Democrat Party is done. I implore the Republican Party to get back to the things that made the Republican Party relevant in the first place. Stop playing Democrat politics. Get back to being Republicans. Get back to being Republicans. Family values, low taxes, Barry Goldwater said it best. Conservatism is about staying out of our bedrooms, our billfolds, and our businesses. The Republican Party needs to start doing that, and they need to start working on that. They need to start working on some sort of remedy for Social Security. I suggest that they open up the Treasury bonds to the Social Security Administration and start doing trades. That's what I suggest. That is the only thing that makes sense. It's the only thing that I would... I mean, I've got, I've got hundreds of thousands of dollars wrapped up in that system. I'm not going to walk away from it without getting something for it. Will I take a huge hit in the actual dollar value of what I could take out of Social Security vis-a-vis out of what I could take out of a, a Treasury bond? Yeah. But what if I'm able to what if I'm able to live on the treasury bond dividends and then pass them along to my children 
What that does is slowly build over time. And that contributes to the kind of economic growth it's going to take to be able to crawl out from underneath $20 trillion in debt plus. I am bullish about the United States of America. I believe those treasury bonds are going to be far more valuable than anything that has the words social security attached to it. The government would still have the money. People would just be buying treasury bonds instead of this vaporous social security Ponzi fog bank that we've got all this money tied up into. That's what the Republicans should be doing. They should be working on that. They should be working on tax reform. They should not be bugging President Trump about anything. They need to start working on tax reform. They need to repeal Obamacare and just allow the free market to act. The free market, look, look, in, in let's, let's go back to 2010. In 2010, an American family was spending somewhere between twelve and $14,000 every year on a health care insurance plan to protect themselves with. That money is still there. All that needs to happen for America's health care and health insurance plans is to do two things with the health insurance companies. Allow them to sell catastrophic health insurance across state lines. Define a catastrophic health insurance situation. And allow them to sell it across state lines so that the risk groups are vast and immense, and that drives down the cost. And then, allow people who want their own individualized health insurance, go directly to a health insurer and buy an insurance plan, again, that can be sold coast to coast. Only those two kinds of insurance can be sold coast to coast. The rest of it stays the same. The marketplace will decide. There is something else you do. You redo the health savings account. It is your money. It is pre-tax, which means that at the end of the year, the money that you have in are not it's not just it's not just confiscated. At the end of the year, you get to carry it over. Use any extra money to pay your premiums for the next year. Those are the things that fix 99, well, not 99, but certainly 90% of America. The rest of it's Medicaid. And frankly, I'm just interested in the same people that screwed up Medicaid to begin with, getting back after it, and trying to solve it themselves. This would be a great way to look at politicians trying to do something with health care, and then again, seeing them dreadfully wanting. As if we needed more proof that they couldn't pull it off. The Democrat Party is in disarray. 
the Republican Party is not taking advantage of its opportunity. Mediocre before the Democrats defeated themselves, mediocre after. At some point, something better needs to to make itself apparent. Because America is about excellence, not about mediocrity. This is the Wells Report. You're here in tomorrow's front page on the Wells Report with John David Wells on 660 AM. The answer. You are listening to the Wells Report. John David Wells at your service. Yeah. What are we going to do? What is next? You know, back in the olden days, people who used to walk around with a little bit of air between their feet and the ground, people who thought themselves to be far beyond the mental capacity of most human beings, you know, got brought down pretty fast. They were ridiculed mainly by the virtue of a just society moving forward more or less together. Somehow these people have been able to evade the harsh accountability that I was exposed to most of my life. And I'm trying to figure out how it is that they managed to get through their upbringing without getting taken down the notch or two or ten that I was subjected to. The most of the people that I know were subjected to. Jim Acosta is a member of the White House Press Corps. He is so blinded by politics that he scarcely comes across with anything remotely resembling coherency. Especially now. What happened to the accountability that would have caught him when he was a producer for CNN writing the wrong copy and hanging out a a talented person on camera out to dry apparently that never happened fortunately those people who were perhaps victimized by his incompetence were watching on CNN when he did it to himself by quoting a poem that was designed to be a fundraiser for a pedestal for the Statue of Liberty as somehow being some irrevocable American traditional policy codified by what? His own ignorant mind? The answer, of course, sadly, is yes. So how did he manage to get to that station in life without getting his butt kicked? I'll make no mistake, I'm part of me is envious. This is the Wells Report. 